Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1086 of the Juicebox Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of my parenting series with Erica Forsyth. You can find Erica at ericaforsyth.com. This series began on episode 1049. It was called Parenting Brainstorming the Series. In that episode, Erica and I just got together and worked out what we wanted to do in the coming episodes. Those episodes, of course, have been 1054, Understanding Parenting Styles, 1059, Building Positive Communication, 1064, Self-Care and Personal Growth for Parents, 1074, Creating Boundaries and Expectations, 1079, Inconsistent Discipline and Over-Involved Parenting. And today's episode, 1086, is called Co-Parenting and Unified Fronts. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. This episode of the Juice Box podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. CozyEarth.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% off of your entire order. That could be towels, clothing, bed linens. It doesn't matter what you put in your cart at CozyEarth.com. My offer code will save you 40%. Use JUICEBOX at checkout. Erica, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. It's good to be back. I'm doing well. How are you? You know, I've had a day, but I'm okay. I can, I can do my job still. <laughs> We are making our way very nicely. So we, you and I, have recorded now the first five episodes yes. of the series. We're up to episode six, which we're going to call Co-Parenting and Unified Fronts. Make sense? Yes. All right, yes. all right. I'm not going to go back over everything that we've talked about before, but let's suffice it to say this is a series. You probably should listen to it in order. Um but, you know, if you're just jumping in now and you enjoy this one, go back. There's five more uh, that all tie together with this. So um, when we left off last, oh, what the heck were we talking about last when we, when we left <laughs> off? It's been a couple of weeks now. Um, yes, we were talking about the consequences of, of inconsistent parenting, inconsistent discipline. We were talking about over-involved parenting, excessive praise. And then, and then what do we do with these kind of unintended negative outcomes or behaviors that we see in our children at, as a result of, of, the, of our inconsistency, which we are all inconsistent at, at times as parents because we are not perfect. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and everything comes so fast and furiously that I don't even know, like sometimes there's just not even time to think. You just have yes. to react. And, and that's, by the way, that's if you're well-intended. Imagine if you're not well-intended. I don't even know what you do then. And and that's, by the way, on the tip of my tongue, because I did an interview earlier today uh, that if you're looking for it, I'm pretty sure it's going to be called foot wash. I think that's what I'm going to call it. Okay. This person's, you know, mid-20s talking about their life. And this girl, you know, brought up by addicted parents. She said the best way to describe the parenting she received growing up was she was basically like abandoned, just left to her own devices when it wasn't drugs and screaming. And like, you know, my God, she described being five years old uh, in a, in a bathroom with her mother who was being held by her father or her boyfriend, either the father or the boyfriend uh, holding a knife to her, telling mm. the mom, look at yourself, you're useless tell me you don't love your kids, like all this stuff, like like that kind of like abuse, right? But when the girl's talking about it, she doesn't talk about it the way you and I hear the story, which just shows how like, how steeped she was in that kind of world and how normal it was to her, even though she's screwed up now from it and struggling and knows that and is trying to find her way out of it. Now, this is a, 
a ham-fisted example, but it's in my head mm-hmm. because I, I talked about it today. Mm-hmm. And and I think that anywhere from that most like, kind of egregious example down to the little things, they stick to your kids as you're growing up, you know, as they're coming up and, you know, whether you have the issues that this person has or just, you know, the littlest thing, like, you know, the little mm-hmm. silliest thing, you're, you're always being impacted and built on by the things that are happening around you. Yes. Yeah. Constantly. Just, just as we are as adults, you know, have been affected by our different parenting styles that we experienced or trauma, mm. but there is hope, right? That there's always room for, for healing and growth. If the, if you're, if you're seeking that, right. So I also have to imagine the people listening to this are not the knife wielding lunatics and are just like, Hey, I'd love some pointers on how things could be easier. <laughs> yes. I probably would not have used that example here had it not been so fresh in my head, but yeah, it just occurred to me that what we're talking about today is what you do and how what you do imprints itself on your kids and who they end up becoming. Yes. You know, so a lot of this is co-parenting, whether you're married or divorced or whatever, and how you work together. And so I'd love for you to, to step through this stuff with me, yes. please. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I, I wanted to, to also note that, that when we, we speak of co-parenting, we we're speaking of it through both lenses of co-parenting under the same roof or in, in two different households um, because both, both hopefully tools will be applicable to you. So the first, the first thing I thought we could walk through is just, you know, what are, what are the co-parenting dynamics highlighting the importance of presenting United front? And I know we've talked about this point before in previous episodes in this series but these it's important if you can attempt to avoid disagreements in front of your children. I know this is can be really difficult, particularly whether we're talking about diabetes decisions or you've come home from work or you've you know ended your work day or your whatever has been going on in your life and you're exhausted and you're trying to make a decision with your partner um, either on the phone or um, in person, and the children. Are, are totally absorbing and witnessing this disagreement. Now, I have done this. I know this happens to all of us at times. The good news is that you can always repair and correct and circle back to your children about that. But it's a really important feature or just principle to try and agree with your partner too beforehand. Like if you feel like you're in that pattern of constantly fighting, having big or small disagreements in front of your children, to try and have a separate conversation to say, hey, can we, let's work together. First, you need to agree with your partner to not do that. That would be the first step. Right. Because then if, if if you can't be agreement to try to avoid the conflict in front of your children, that's that would be maybe a deeper issue of, okay, why, what, what is the um what is the issue there in terms of your communication? Yeah. yeah. So this is a this is a situation that on your own, by yourself somewhere, you have to have that conversation and say, look. For a number of different reasons, even if we don't agree, we have to appear to agree. It, that doesn't mean that you can disagree and one person gets to win. It means that if you have a disagreement, you have to work it out and then co- you don't work it out in front of the kids is, is the issue, right? Yes. But now here's my question. We all disagree on things. Mm-hmm. And isn't that resolution also an important thing to to? to teach and to show people, but it's not, you don't want to, I want to make sure I think I understand this correctly. I don't want to teach my kids how to resolve a disagreement between me and a spouse or me and an ex or whatever in another crisis. Like it should be its own conversation. Not, is that right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you, so if you're saying, if you, you have the fight in front of your children is it you're wondering? Is it important for them to also witness the repair or this how you're going to solve the problem or resolve the conflict? Is that what you're asking? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, is that if I don't know, let's like make it something simple. The kid wants to eat paste. There, that's an easy one. Okay, <laughs> and the kid starts eating the paste, and I stand up and I go, "Don't eat the paste." And my wife stands up and goes, mm, "Let him eat the paste." That's not how we come at that. Because then the kid sees these two don't agree. I can play one against the other. Like there's all kinds of ways to like make that an unhealthy relationship. But 
if we then said, hey, don't eat the paste, whatever, we, we erred on the side of that. But then later away from that situation, sat somebody down and said, hey, you know, I thought it would be interesting for you to know I was negative on the paste eating, but mom was pro on it. And now we're going to sit here and talk it through and see us like give each other our opinions and come to a, a you know, to a, an agreement if we can, or even come to a, you know, the idea that we can agree. Like they're two different things, right? Yes. And I, and I think if, if your children are open to it, I think that could be a great example of modeling how to resolve the conflict in front of them. I think that's Absolutely fair. I think that might be difficult to do on maybe like a higher level or a um a more intense yeah. conversation. But I think to show them and and but you're also you're verbalizing that to them. And obviously this is all developmentally and age appropriate. You want to make it age appropriate, but to say, hey, you saw you saw us fighting about um or disagreeing about the paste. So now we're we're gonna show you how we're going to resolve this or we're going to try and figure out a way to come to an agreement. So you're then you're being really intentional yeah. with them of what you're doing. It, it just occurred to me that somebody could hear the, you know, you have to present a unified front and think what that means is, is that one of us gets to be right and one of us gets to, and the other one has to shut the hell up and bite their tongue. Mm. And in a, like, I'm not going to lie to you, like there, a lot of people have relationships where that's the case, where you get to be right and I get to be quiet. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that I think kids read that, too. Like, you know, you always hear you can hear children get older and talk about their parents and say, oh, you know, when we were younger, my dad, man, he just did whatever he was told. Or, you know, or my mom backed down every time my dad opened his mouth or mm -hmm. something like that. Like, mm -hmm. there's there's no value in that either. So you have to be you have to actually be unified, <laughs> I guess, is my <laughs> point. <laughs> and I think you're such a nice person. You just said, like be unified like people would actually do it but i see it as one person would just be like ah oh, this isn't worth the fight you know what i mean absolutely and i think that also can be conditional on the topic on on your and what is your what is the parent or the two partner dynamic as you just exemplified is some is one person just kind of like a, a bulldozer and the other person just kind of acquiesces and says okay whatever that's fine mm -hmm. you win you win you win that Children pick up on that too. And maybe there are times when you're just so exhausted and you don't really care about the, the thing that you're arguing about. And you're like, okay, fine. Let them eat the paste. I don't really care. Yeah. But maybe there are other moments where it doesn't feel appropriate and you you do have, you know, buy-in or mm -hmm. you are you do really want to stand strong with the paste. Well, you well, that that's my other thing, is like I, I pick such a ridiculous example. But what if I was like <laughs> What I mean, what if she was just like, no, let our kids eat pace. And I'm like, well, this is definitely not right. She's wrong. I have to make a stand here. And it's in the moment it's happening. So now I have to now I do have to steal up and 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 resist her her opinion. And mm -hmm. people can get emotional in those situations and probably will. And then, you know, it turns into defending yourself almost immediately, you know, like mm -hmm. I ate paste when I was little and I'm fine, you know, and you're like, oh my God, I saw in the news, you shouldn't eat paste. And like, you know, you're going back and forth yeah. like that. It's just, it, no matter what the conversation is about or the topic, it's possible that people just have two differing opinions Yes, that they didn't talk ahead about and can't blend. It's also possible one of them's just flat out wrong and it could be dangerous or, you know, to just to go along and agree. And these are the always, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go out. I mean, I, from my own personal life, I'm going out now. You know, my wife, I hear my wife, do you have money? When they were little, right? Mm -hmm. I'd perk up right away because my wife's about to, to lay enough money on them to start their own Fortune 500 company to go out for a cheeseburger. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I'm like, whoa, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> Everyone slow down. Be because when they were younger, I'm like, Kelly, you can't put so much money on them. They could start a heroin addiction while they're out. Like they need to have enough to get by, but not <laughs> enough to be like, you know, I actually said that to her one time when she goes, those kids are not like using drugs like that. And mm -hmm. I said, no, I'm like, well, what if one of their friends is, what if one of her friends is like, Hey, you have a hundred dollars. We can buy Coke. And like, or like, like what happens if, and so to me, it was really important that they don't leave the house with too much money. Mm -hmm. I also thought that it gave them an improper idea of the value of money and like you know, all kinds of different things. I want to be clear. We weren't giving them like a thousand dollars to leave the house. This is like, you know, like 
in a scenario where I think 20 would have done it, my wife was like, here, take 40. And I'm like, hmm, not necessary. Like, don't load them up with cash. They're little. I thought that was important. My wife thought I was being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But she's walking out of the house. And what if I'm right? You know what I mean? So I don't know. Don't have And I think a lot of these examples or a lot of these things probably occur for the first time. Like the first time your child is going out independently with their own wallet. The Mm. first time your child is going to be driving, right? So sometimes we don't always kind of preempt or think about how are we going to parent in this situation? Maybe you have kind of like the nuts and bolts of like, are we going to do timeouts? Are we going to do, you know, how are we? How are we going to discipline? How are we going to praise? And so it's normal for a lot of these conversations to occur Mm -hmm. in these first time occurrences. Last night, I um, was invited into the living room with my daughter, a couple of her friends, my wife. We were going to watch uh, something on television. And I got down there and it was chilly, but everybody else seemed comfortable. So I ran back to my room and got my cozy earth pullover. And it kept me just right while we watched the TV. Today, I'm wearing joggers from Cozy Earth. This morning, I uh, dried off my uh, undercarriage and other bits with a Cozy Earth waffle towel. And of course, every night, I sleep on Cozy Earth sheets. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Some of those things were given to me by Cozy Earth. A pair of the sheets, for example. I guess it would be a set of the sheets. And uh, one of my jogger sets. But since then, I've repurchased from CozyEarth.com with my own money using my own offer code. The joggers I'm wearing right now, some extra towels, and another set of sheets on my dime, which I guess really it's your dime. I think basically I'm doing Cozy Earth ads to pay for my Cozy Earth addiction, maybe? We'll we'll see. Anyway, it's um, 40% off when you use my offer code juicebox at checkout at CozyEarth.com. Top line, we're talking about quality items that wash well, wear well, Don't make me too hot or too cold. Goes for the sheets and the clothing. I've never like broke a sweat or been freezing. They just always seem to just be right. And they fit terrific. The sheets fit the bed terrific. These clothes fit me. I don't look sloppy. I look, um, you know how when you see a famous person in a photo, you think they must know something that other people don't know. That's what I think usually. Um, Like for instance, layering clothing. Ladies are laughing at me right now, but I see famous men and they wear a shirt with something over top of it. And I go, oh, they always look so nice. And then I realized one day it's because they layer their clothing. Well, the same thing when you see them kind of running around in, you know, like sweatsuits and stuff like that. You think, God, that thing looks beautiful. I didn't know how they did that until I got my Cozy Earth joggers. And now I look in the mirror and I think, oh, my God, this is what a famous person would wear. CozyEarth.com. Use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout to be comfortable And uh, to look famous, I guess. And what do you do when one person disagrees? Well, you have to either agree (laughs) to disagree and try it one way, one time. And then maybe the next time you, they go out with $5. Um, But you also, I think when you're in that moment and it's like, it's that time sensitive piece too. Right. Everything feels like heightened. We have to figure this out right now. That's also, and you can like feel your kids watching whatever age. It's like a good time to say, Hey, let's go take this in the other room. If you feel like you can't resolve it or one person is going to allow the other person to to win, so to speak, mm-hmm. to step aside, it's hard. It's hard. It's a fascinating conversation. It just really mm-hmm. is because even as you watch your children get older, you can see them have opinions about who they agree with. Yeah. You know what I mean? And often it's just wiring. Like my daughter and I are kind of similar the way we think. My son and my wife think more similarly. And I watch my wife like make a real effort to not judge Arden when Arden's talking just because their thoughts don't sync up as easily, right? And I do the same thing for Cole, and it's gotten easier as he's gotten older. But when he was younger, he'd have these reactions, and I'd be like, "What the hell is that?" And but but I've learned to just think like that's that's him, and that's his reaction to this. And I, I you have to lay back. Oftentimes, shutting your mouth is really helpful. Like like just. <laughs> You know what I mean? Just like watching it happen and kind of absorbing it. You got to push your ego off to the side a little bit, your opinion off to the mm-hmm. side. And just let people be themselves. I don't know what that has to do with this, but I just I very much see the value in unified 
I just wanted to be clear. I don't think it's a thing that just magically happens in the moment. I think you have to have real like communication, private communication where you can come to agreements on things and how are we going to approach this stuff? And what happens if we get into that situation where I really vehemently think you're wrong or vice versa? And, and what do we do right then and there? Because we don't want to see the, we don't want a child to look up and think, oh, these people that I count on, they don't know what the f- they're doing. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, no. what, that's really what you're trying to avoid, right? Is that uncertainty. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and feeling like I can, I, tr- who can I trust? What's happening? You know, it gives a real sense of instability right. for the children. And I think th- really the bottom line is if you and your partner can agree to do your best to not have these escalated consistently fights in front of your children. If you can agree to not do that, that will prevent or at least reduce the frequency of these types of arguments in front of your children, right? Just do agree like, hey, when we're when we're just agreeing, let's just remember to like pause or go to the other room or just take a time out. And that that helps a lot. You always want to appear to be thoughtfully coming to your decisions. Mm-hmm. That's how it occurs to me. So mm-hmm. it, it really, I mean, honestly, like to take it out of this realm for a second, you're watching television on Sunday and the head coach and the offensive coordinator are screaming at each other. The first thing you should think is, oh, we're not going to the Super Bowl. Like, like, right. Like our power structure is not right. Like the management here is, is off kilter. It, it's fighting with itself. It doesn't work. And that's what you project when you and your spouse are bickering back and forth, can't come to a conclusion. Everybody thinks they're right. Nobody thinks they're wrong. Like that kid is sitting there going, uh-oh, we're not going mm-hmm. to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, these people are not a winning combination. And mm-hmm. it really isn't as much about that moment or that thing you're talking about as it is about the centering and how centered that kid gets to feel in your in your house. That, to me, yes. that's, that's the bigger point, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. That's a great summary. Okay. Great. Okay. Sorry. Go on. That's okay, 15 so, minutes, so the, but I thought it was valuable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the next one um, is, is a bigger issue and topic, but I just thought it would be important to note here that oftentimes there's an interesting dynamic and it's hard to be united when two partners have not really understood or discussed how they perceive their own gender role in the parenting dynamic. Mm-hmm. So parents might have, and two partners might have a conflict and maybe it's communication. Maybe it's all the other things we've noted already in previous series episodes, but also maybe it's this expectation. Maybe you have the awareness or not that, okay, well, I'm, I'm, we'll just give this example. Well, I'm the woman in this relationship and I know my mom, she never did any of the discipline and I'm the mom here. I'm the female in this part, in this partnership. So I'm never going to do any of the discipline. That's what my dad, my dad did that. Mm -hmm. So then you have that expectation that your, that your partner who is your husband is doing all the discipline, but he might've grown up with a mother who did all that, but no one has ever really discussed that. So you're bringing in these kind of gender roles, gender norms, gender expectations of how you grew up and how you saw your mother and your father in this stereotypical example, but you're no one's talking about that. So that creates a really interesting dynamic that often is not discussed um, in, in partnership. So I just wanted to bring that up. Aware of that. I also think it, I mean, I was raised that way. Like when your dad gets home, like when your father gets uh-huh. home like that. And I, I, I think back now, my dad probably got home. He's probably didn't give a about any of this and and he's like exhausted and dirty and then my mom puts on him seven hours ago he like i was eight like seven hours ago i don't even remember stuff what i do wrong and now my dad's got to gin up this like false sense of like disgust or like you know like i don't know it almost felt like sometimes he was looking at me like hey listen she said i gotta smack you um i got nothing against you you know, like, 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 you know, and it's, um, it's just bad because it made, it gave me that situation where I thought my dad's like the hammer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and then you start thinking of him that way. And isn't it horrible to pull back now as an adult and look and think that might not even have been who he was in that situation. It's just mm-hmm. the job that somebody gave him. And, you know, why, like, why could my, you know, why could my mom not just like 
I don't know, say something, set a limit, like in that moment. It was like, wait till mm-hmm. you see what happens later. And I realize that's probably an older idea now that like, wait till your dad gets home thing. But I don't think the point of what happens to the kid's interpretation of you when you start acting like, like there's certain things you do and certain things he does and vice versa. Like instead of sharing that, that burden, it is a burden when you're parenting. Like there's a lot of stuff you need to do because you're seeding success for 20 years from now, but it doesn't feel like it pays anything in the moment, but you still like, if you're parenting, well, those are the things you have to do in the moment. And so I, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it was, if you're hanging that on one person, if one person's a disciplinarian or even one person's in charge of all the cooking or all the yeah. washing or anything like that, you have like little things. Like I do the dishes in my house almost exclusively between you and I, I think that emasculates me in front of my kids sometimes. And I know mm-hmm. that's a weird thing, but I think it's true. I think they see mm-hmm. me as the person who does the, those tasks around the house and mm-hmm. I'm okay with it, but I know a lot of people like, I don't feel emasculated by it is what I'm trying to say. Right, 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 right. 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 But there are plenty of people who would, and then you put them into a defensive posture and then what comes next is not good. Anyway, am but I then, understanding? Yeah, we could go further or go on, but I think the, the point is like having that awareness of how you were raised as a child, the, the, the roles that you that you were experienced from your your two parents, and are you placing that on yourself? Are you placing it on your partner? And is that is that creating a conflict? Mm-hmm. So just have that kind of awareness of what kind of like expectations do you have of yourself in your role in in your partnership? I was a stay at home dad for like twenty some years, right? And the truth is, in a sentence, if you're going to be a good parent, you have to like, in my opinion, you got to give your heart over to the job. The job of raising children has to fill you up. You can't feel unfulfilled by parenting or you'll do a bad job at it. But there are a lot of feminine traits in those ideas and uh, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. I know my kids see me as a more feminine version of a person than I actually am. And my son, excuse me, my son is figuring it out as I get older and we can have more men's conversations together. But I think that while they were, I think I came off as soft to them. Does, if that makes sense. Well, cause, mm-hmm. because, and, and by, by the way, it's not me, wasn't me necessarily. Also, I talk with my hands, which I think has a lot to do with it. Uh, but that's just me <laughs> like looking into how people uh, uh, see you. It's because the other men around me were busy being classic men. And mm-hmm. I wasn't doing stuff like that. Like I'm the kid, like I'm the man at the softball field on his knee, giving Arden a juice box and talking about her blood sugar while she's playing softball. If that happened to any other family, it wouldn't have been the father doing it. And, and so I think my kids eventually pick up on that. And even though they know that's not who I am, it is how it comes off to them. And my son recently said something like that. He goes, I know dad's not X, Y, Z, but he really does feel like that when you're talking to him sometimes. Mm. I mean, I don't know another way to put it. Like, I mean, people can say there's, you know, that this is a weird gender like thing that I'm bringing up. But I personally, I mean, I grew up 20 years being a stay at home father. I don't think there are gender specific jobs. I believe that more than anybody. I think there are jobs that genders get stuck in because that's how things have been done for years. But I don't think there's anything that should be specific to men or women. But still, my my son said, you know, like you seem like effeminate sometimes. Because you do so many things that I'm used to seeing women do and not well, that's Yeah, that's society, right? Like yeah. how he has been exposed to these societal gender right. norms um, yeah, and yeah. stereotypes. I mean, this is a great conversation. I know we're, we're totally diverting, but I think we're it's really, um, yeah. I think it's really important as well. Okay. Important topic. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to go to the second point. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. It's okay. good stuff. So this kind of continues on just the, these power struggles that you experience with your partner um, between that may or may not be viewed in by your children um, and that you want to continue to promote this collaborative decision-making mm-hmm. part of another conflict that might arise as you're trying to parent is that you may be parenting from a different parenting style, right? One parent might be lean more into authoritative 
and the other parent might be more permissive. Mm-hmm. And you might not even realize that until you're experiencing kind of so many conflicts and how you're deciding how to raise your children. Again, I know we, we talked about the the parenting styles, I think, in our first episode. And we and you might come to your partner and think that your way is the best way, because maybe that's how you were raised as a child. And that there's it also might be aligning with some of your strengths of how you want to parent um, and what your style is. And so coming to those decisions beforehand, even in, and if you're you're obviously you're already in it, you're already a parent, it's never too late to go back to have these conversations of like, okay, when our child isn't listening to us, are we going to yell? Are we going to get down to their level and talk to them eye to eye? Are we going to validate their how they're feeling when we're telling them they aren't listening? Are we going to ground them? Are we going to take away something? Are we going to praise them for when they do listen? Are we just going to kind of ignore it and just hope that they'll grow out of the what? however they're responding? Those are all, I'm just kind of giving examples from different yeah. parenting styles. Some of these things, it might be right in the moment, but I think having these conversations that I know are hard to do when you're working and you have children and you're doing all the things, it's really hard to carve out time to like, let's talk about how we're parenting. But I think that's really important to kind of get, have a little bit of give and take too, if you're realizing that each parent or excuse me, our partner is parenting from a different style mm-hmm. and maybe accepting that it might be different sometimes. It doesn't always have to. I mean, we said it's really important to be united front, but also like let's be compassionate and gracious towards our partners too, as we both are learning. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times that, you know, after hearing somebody, you know, hearing my wife explain something, I think that is really a better idea. Mm. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to fold that into how I think it's not as easy as like a light switch, but you know, you just can't, you can't say otherwise, like you don't know everything and you, you know, you married this person, I'm assuming for some reason, and they have these ideas, like you should listen to them and think, wow, she's making a lot of sense there. Or her perspective is one I wouldn't have considered before, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's see what we can do about, uh, you know, being unified, but blending at the same time. Yes. Yeah. I I wanted to bring up, this um, example that I um, am asked a, a quite frequently, if when two parents are more comfortable, this is with the with diabetes management. One one partner is more comfortable with the child running a little bit higher, versus the other partner feels like they're a lot more comfortable with the lows, mm-hmm. or the child kind of running a little bit lower. And I know we people have talked about that even on the podcast. This is really, really hard because, again, both parents might feel like they're right, right? Like if your child's going to let them run a little bit higher, we avoid those really scary lows and having to treat in the middle of the night or at sports or at school. And then the other parent feels like, well, no, because if they run high all the time, they're the, you know they're concerned about the long-term complications. When I hear two people coming to me with this question... Both are very, you know, firm usually mm-hmm. and wanting, they want to be right. And they're ultimately, their goal is to protect the child. They want to keep the child safe. Isn't it funny that both ends of the conversation are safety-based? Like normally when you argue two sides of a coin, there's two different arguments to make the point. You literally can use safety to make the point on both sides. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And often what's underneath that is to take some time and say, okay, what, what are the fears? What are, are you, what are, are you fearful of your child having a seizure and not knowing what to do? Are you fearful of your child ultimately going blind? Those are both really valid fears. Yeah. So then we kind of, if this is hard, if you are unable to do this independently, this is a great opportunity. If you're finding yourself in this dynamic to go and work with you know, objective observer, a therapist, a moderator to help you kind of figure out, is it because what is driving the fear? Is it not really feeling confident of how to manage to keep it in like a a range that isn't consistently high and isn't flirting with feeling too low? Mm -hmm. Do you have all the data? Sometimes when we don't have all of the data or knowledge about something, that's where anxiety likes to come in and just creep in and, and plant seeds of fear and doubt. But what you really want to do is get to the place of validating and empathizing with, with your partner, whether or not you are you know together or not. 
in this example to say, gosh, I really, I hear that you're really scared right. about, about our child having a low. And I hear that you're really scared about highs. And, and ultimately both parties will say, yes, we, they, they both are fearful of both things. Yeah. Well, you're both doing the same thing too, whether in this example, if you uh-huh. want the blood sugar to be higher, you're scared about right now problems, like immediate problems, and uh-huh. you're willing to ignore what might happen long term. And if you want them to be low, then you're willing to ignore that there might be a crazy low out of nowhere because you're worried about the low. You're, you're just you're choosing to ignore half of the argument to make yourself comfortable in your decision. And man, it, isn't it crazy? Like it's an exact there's no gray area in this argument at all. Uh-huh. There's one side or the other. It's hard to get people to to see like from the middle. I guess like I, the way I ended up doing it was I just, I preached to my wife. I was like, I'm not willing to trade now for later. Like I basically went with like Ben Franklin on it. Right. What's that thing about Liberty? Did he even say that? You know, I can't give me Liberty or no, no, you can't trade a little bit of, you don't know (laughs) that saying, do you know? Wait, so seriously, I'm going to find it for you real quick because, because this is how I think about where to keep blood sugars. Um, (laughs) Benjamin Franklin, by the way, one of the first common sense people in the world. He's a ton of writing under a lot of different pseudonyms. And most of the little like parables that we say to people, he's one of the first people that put it down into writing in America, at least. Um, hold on a second. He wrote a book called uh, Poor Somethings. I'll figure that out later. I'll put it at the end. Uh, the quote, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither. Mm-hmm. that's how I think about blood sugar. There you go. So I don't think I've ever said that out loud. That's how I think about blood sugar. Like she has diabetes. Say, say that again. Oh, you may, you know, get it again. Those oh, who, you oh, that, no, 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 don't worry. I, I was already on the other thing. I moved quick. <laughs> Those who would give up essential Liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither. Mm. And this, this quote became very, um, popular and argued about around the 9-11 attacks because they started, you know, well, we're going to take away some people's rights. There was the, what's that? It's still, it's still a law. They can detain you if they think you're a a terrorist still without Mm -hmm. any proof, right? What is that? The Patriot Act, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So around the argument of the Patriot Act, this phrase started coming up a lot. People saying it might seem like you're going to be safer now if we give away these freedoms, but trust me, long term, you're not going to like what happens. And I would assume that 20 some years later, that's proven out to be true. And now, you know, listen, I don't want to get into a political art. I don't know what we've saved by ignoring people's Mm -hmm. rights or, you know, what Mm -hmm. we haven't. But that was in my head around diabetes. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to be safe right now, but not at the expense of her life. And then I ended up having a conversation with somebody early on in the podcast Whose type one son, he passed away in college, he got the flu and he fell asleep and he just never woke up again. It's a terrible story. But during that conversation, his mother said to me, I would rather have him had 20 some years of a great life than 45 years of a so-so life. And I thought that was a really brave thing to say out loud. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly don't want my daughter to pass away or, you know, anything like that. But I also don't want to look up and see that she's like this 50-year-old with this milk toast existence where she never leaves her house because she's scared. And like, so anyway, I, I didn't I didn't think it was worth giving up a little bit now for and, and trading later is, is kind of mm-hmm. how I saw it. But anyway, that's sorry. That was way off course, but we're talking no, about that's, diabetes. That's so. great. Yeah. I, I like I appreciate the quote. I yeah. think it's the challenge is in in this example. We don't, we can't predict the future, right? Like there's no certainty around your, if you're in X number for this many days or this many years, this for sure is going to happen. And so when we don't have firm data, but we're trying to control something that's hard to control, Mm -hmm. fear and stress and anxiety creep in. And I think when you find yourself in this dilemma that is common. It really is of how how you're going to manage your child's diabetes to practice like that the calm, patient, empathy piece because both both of you 
are scared of something. Are scared. Yeah. And both of you want your child to be safe. Right. Like that's the bot that that is the bottom line. The truth is is you paint this the picture and some people's minds see it one way and some people's minds see even the thing I just said about the liberty and the safety. There half the people heard it and went, No, I want to be safe today. We'll see what happens later. And half the people said, I'm willing to take the risk for the bigger picture. And mm-hmm. it it doesn't make either of you right or wrong. Like it really doesn't, you know, and mm-hmm. then this, so what do you do? God, what do you tell people when they come in the office with this? Well, oftentimes, as we as we learn that diabetes, there there might be already some issues of you know communication, empathy. There's marital stress, and then you throw in a chronic illness into it, and it just brings everything to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Getting to the baseline of really trying to connect on the empathy piece usually softens people to say, you know, I really hear that you want my child to be safe and that you're scared. And then the other person would say the same thing and trying to connect. Once you can connect with empathy, then there's, there's room for movement. Yeah. And then you say, okay, then you find a middle ground. Um, But when you're stuck in like, no, this is the only way. And this is the only thing, you know, there's, when you can't connect and empathize with the other person, you're stuck in your space. Right. Emotionally. Okay. No, it makes a ton of sense to me. What if uh, I just married an idiot? <laughs> and <laughs> what if that happened? What if I'm looking across the table and I'm like, oh, this dummy. Here he goes again. And they're saying something ridiculous. Like There are people who just like don't care about high blood sugars at all because they don't understand diabetes at all. And you see those. Com- I mean, the amount of people I hear who, especially in a divorce situation, send their kids somewhere else who looks they look completely like a different type one on the weekend mm-hmm. than they do during yes. the week and the kid it's feels so terrible and you know, all this other stuff's going on and you don't have all of the tools at your disposal that you would, if you were married or together. And you know what I mean by that? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, once you're split up, the other person has the opportunity to just go, I don't care what you think. And, and, and that's it. When you're together, at least people are like, well, I want to be harmonious. Like, you know, for the most part, you think that's people's goal. You lose a lot. I hate to say it like this. You you lose a lot of your leverage when you're not in the same house, right? Isn't it weird to talk about feelings but reality at the same time? Yes, it really is, isn't it? Because there is a way. If we all just like flower child and you know had the '60s coming out of our ears, we'd all just be like, "It's cool. We'll do it. It'll be fine." Like listen to each other, and then you get into the real. Like what happens to people when you put them in these situations? Like what happens to a mom? When they realize the father's going to leave the kid's blood sugar like 350 all weekend, turn, they, that person turns into like a, a mercenary. You know, they're like, I am not going to let that happen. Like, blah, blah, blah. And then you hear some people go, I can't say anything because if I say anything, he calls the lawyer. If he calls the lawyer, then I might lose. It's such a terrible scenario to be in uh, for, for certain. But, but you're saying your best chance at it is to empathize with the other person get them to empathize empathize with you. And then it kind of releases a little bit of that stress. And maybe then there's a middle ground you can find each other in. Yes. I mean, that that's best case scenario. Yes. To like soften and connect Mm -hmm. on the fear, the unknown and your goal. Like your goal is to keep your child safe. And oftentimes it's really, it's hard. If it's hard, if we're, if we're discovering that it's hard for the, partners to move. Sometimes what I learn is that one parent is maybe more involved and does all of the appointments and knows maybe a little bit more. This isn't always the case, Mm -hmm. but just is more involved in the child's management. And so often what can be also be beneficial is to bring the other partner into the fold, like going to the appointments, having scheduling appointments with, you know, a CDCES. So someone who can, who is not Maybe if therapy isn't working, then to go to a professional who can speak truth into what they are fearing is worst case scenario Mm -hmm. and preventing them from wanting to budge. So to have like an expert can be also helpful to speak on the matter or listen to a podcast. (laughs) You are the professional. I'm just going to tell you from a 
from a male's perspective, just ask your question while you're changing at night. And I'm pretty much going to agree to anything. So like that, <laughs> just, you know, as you're like taking off your shirt and going to your pajamas, that's when you mentioned, I go, oh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm we're good keeping, with it. We're keeping the kid at 120. Whatever not, you think. Not 220. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever you think is fine with me. I don't want to, l- listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If I was a lady, I wouldn't have these kind of problems. Uh, but that's because I know how I, I know how I think. <laughs> I'd be pretty good. I'd be pretty good at keeping myself under control. I think It's just a fact of life. Like I, I'm going to go back to what I said a second ago, like these conversations, they always perplex me a little bit. Like I, I, I was mentioning to somebody the other day, I talked to Eric and I, we have these great conversations where we talk through how people think. And, and undoubtedly at the end of that conversation, I think we should all just give up. This is never going to work out. <laughs> it's that mix. It finally hit me today. It's the mix of feelings and what's right and what would work if everybody was on the same page and the reality of how people can in a split second get your defensive or their ego could take over and they start they lose sight of the goal and just you know i don't know they crawl into a feels like they back themselves into a corner and then everyone's attacking at that point yes i mean you got to do something so i like your idea better than than anything else i've heard <laughs> What happens, okay, so what happens if I understand that? I'm one side of the coin, and I know this is what we got to be going for, this empathy and, and finding a middle. The other person won't flex on it. So you're saying maybe bring them into the reality of it a little more, so maybe they'll see it a little differently. But if you say to somebody, I'd like to speak to a therapist, I mean, the person who's already feeling backed into a corner is not likely going to feel good about that idea, I would imagine. One option or example could be Gosh, we are we're obviously having a really hard time finding a middle ground and how where we where we both feel comfortable trying to keep our child's blood sugar in this in this particular range. How like I can't I'm just modeling, right? So I can't keep doing this. We're fighting all the time. Our child's blood sugar is going up and down, up and down. Like inviting your partner into like, how can we figure this out? Because clearly I don't think you want to do this either day in, day out, arguing about the numbers, how we're going to manage. And so then presenting options, like, what do you, do you think it'd be helpful for us to go see a therapist to work on like our communication and understanding? Should we go meet with a, a diabetes educator to learn more about like the some of the truths? Should we meet with our endo? Should, can we listen to these, these podcast series? Like, mm-hmm. what do you think is helpful? Because I know we're both miserable in how we're figuring this yeah. out. And guys, if you're hearing those words, uh, I, just do it, or that's how you end up living above a pizza place. So um, <laughs> seriously, I'm not kidding, because women or are, girls. well, uh, <laughs> you're nice. Women are more emotionally intelligent than men, generally speaking. So like, you know, so you're going to, at some point, someone in the relationship is going to value the child's safety more than the relationship. And if you're on the wrong side of that conversation, that is when you end up living over top of a pizza place. So, which is just what used to happen to the guys in my town, which is why it's my example when they yeah, get divorced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but seriously, like th- these conflicts can't go on forever. Like they won't. Somebody mm-hmm. is going to step up and put an end to it one way or the other. And I mean, the way it happens in in unresolvable situations is a, a dissolution of your family. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. if that's not your goal. Maybe swallow whatever pride is keeping you from being involved in these conversations and just just go for it. Because, I mean, that to me seems like what ends up happening if somebody doesn't, I don't even want to say bend, but if they can't find themselves interested in hearing other perspectives, really. Yeah. You know. I, I will say, I, I think it's important to also praise, though, that this in this example, both partners are feels like they're equally invested, right? Like they're they're both wanting the best. It's not just one parent managing the whole thing and carrying the burden. Mm-hmm. So there is there is a positive aspect to the fact that there is this conflict, right? Because it usually means that both partners are equally trying to help do all the things to yeah. manage the diabetes. I think it's important before we move to the last piece, I think it's important mm-hmm. to say too, that these conversations, these conflicts or instances, whatever happens, a lot of the work that helps you gets done privately later in your own mind, like reflecting, going over what happened, saying to yourself, is this really the outcome I wanted here? If it's not, what could I have done that would have 
help this, you know, get to a better place. I think that's like we talk about all the time. Like it's so you're so busy and how, when the hell do you even talk to each other? And that's where, although you're married now, so you could use this time you used to have sex and talk then. <laughs> but 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 like when do you even do those things? And I think the answer is when you're alone, like you've got to go over them again and you can decide to piss yourself off about it or you can decide to try to come to a resolution. And I, anyway, I think a lot of the work gets done quietly in your own head sometimes. So anyway, it's my opinion. Yes. No, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Reflecting, kind of thinking about the, your partner's opinion, thinking about like, what is it? Why am I scared? Why am I fearful? Why am I mm-hmm. refusing to budge or listen or consider alternative. Tell people one more time, when you find yourself rubbing up against something, more often than not, you're afraid for reasons you don't know, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fear often drives anxiety, irritability, even even, you know, sadness or depression, but if we're sometimes we we're not even aware that we are fearful. Mm-hmm. But we're just operating in this kind of panic, high stress go, 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 go. But when we kind of can have pause and say, okay, what am I, why, what am I scared about? Why am I scared? How can I reduce or kind of assuage or calm some of this fear? And maybe it's grieving, maybe it's processing, maybe it's learning. Mm. Um, There might be different avenues to address some of that fear. Okay. Uh, So your last bit here, effective strategies for co-parenting communication and conflict resolution. Yes. So as we said, as you just joked, I mean, like, like we, you need to, it's important if you are in, in a committed relationship, just like it's important to schedule time for physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, date nights. It's also important to schedule time and not on a frequent basis, unless you need to, like how to solve problems, how to, how, how are we going to solve problems? And when are we going to talk about that? So scheduling it in and and also checking in with your with your partner and and even if it's if, if you're separated or divorced to say, hey, when's a good time for you to connect? Let's let's schedule it in the calendar. Holding also trying to be aware of is the person going to be tired? Like even when you're asking, you know, having these considerations, how am I feeling? And checking in with yourself as well as having that awareness of your partner. Right. To book it, book the time. I'm just going to throw in my two cents here. Don't ever say to a person, now's not a good time to talk to this. You're obviously tired. <laughs> that doesn't go over well. Think that and then schedule a time later. Yeah. Don't don't tell them. <laughs> yeah. You just yeah, poke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's called poking oh. the bear. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Or you're saying, like, we're both really tired. Can we plan to talk about this, you know, tomorrow at right. a certain time? This one, this next point, I think is this tool or strategy is really hard. I just want to highlight this, Mm -hmm. but it's also really important. Whether or not you are in the same household or not co-parenting, to do your best to never speak ill will or negatively or condescendingly about the other parent to your children. And it's really easy to do when you're so angry because they didn't do what you, like you couldn't agree on something or you have your own personal issues. Mm -hmm. It feels really easy to say, gosh, Joey, isn't, isn't daddy just a real jerk (laughs) or like, you know, when you're, you're hurting, you were hurting as a human being and it can feel good to get that like connection or validation from your child. you It could be just like you're doing it, just venting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're not doing it intentionally, but it is like this triangulation thing that can occur. Like you really want to make sure that you and, and whatever name I just used, Joey, are staying connected. Right. So you want to ostracize the other parent. Again, this happens, I know, in parenting households together, or different households. And it's really, it's really hard to do. Yeah. But so important to not do that. And I'll, I can explain why, but sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, tell me why. Also, I just want you to know that if this wasn't part of a series, I would definitely name this episode Joey Eats Paste. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I, that's good. I know people would look and go, oh, what is this about? 
Uh, but, <laughs> that could be like the subtitle. Yeah, yeah, please. The, yeah. Uh, but yeah, why, why would we not want to do that? Why do I not want to like turn to my kid and go, hey, you see she's crazy, right? Like, 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 why do I not do that? So kind of similar to our earlier point of a, it undermines the authority. So when you go, when Joey goes to the other parent's house or staying in the same household and that parent is going to try and correct, admonish, discipline, praise, whatever it is. After a while, if Joey keeps hearing how terrible the other parent is, he's just, he's going to just totally dismiss it. Mm -hmm. Right. So it undermines the, the other parent's authority and this like trust, like every child wants to believe. I mean, unless unless there's serious abuse and trauma and all of that. But if every parent, every child wants to believe that both of their parents are loving and trustworthy and safe, they just do. And they always want to hope for the best. And and even when, you know, parents, when two people divorce, a child still will often, even into their older, you know, adult years, long for mom and dad parents to to get back together it's just a, it's a very natural longing mm-hmm. and so that when one parent undermines or criticizes another parent to the child that trust is violated and the child's like it's kind of, they're confused like well who am i supposed to believe who who is safe who loves me who can i really trust in this world and you're wanting to develop still secure attachments so it's really it can be really really detrimental but again it's really hard to do particularly when you're hurting as a parent right but the the goal in all of this as we're talking i realize again is it's just giving the child a feeling that's real that is centered and safe and loved like that's what they need to feel while they're growing up and the rest Mm -hmm. of it kind of works itself out but the minute you start doing these things you know, bickering in front of him, not having unified front, making it seem like I don't trust what the other person is saying, or actually coming right out and saying, hey, I, you know, privately too, it's even worse. It's sinister almost to pull a kid aside and say, hey, you know, we don't listen to mom about this, or we don't, dad's a jerk or whatever, like that kind of stuff. It's so disorienting for children. Yes. And then it, it to, to the story I told at the beginning, you're building onto this person and taking them in slightly different directions all the time. And the further you get away from that center, the more trouble you're going to have as you grow up. And you're not going to see it happening while it's happening. It's going to be one of those things where you're going to be 65 years old and sitting back and looking at your 40-year-old kid and thinking, oh, I fucked that up. And it's going to be too late then, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think put the kid first, put the security of the relationship first, make sure everybody knows they're loved and I think you hope for the best after that. But yeah, you know, if you mess up the if you mess up the I know I've talked about this before, but like I see life as this like tree that starts at a seed and they it splits into branches at some point. And you make a decision to go right or left. And you keep making those decisions along the way until you've made millions of unperceived decisions and you end up where you end up because of that. There's no plan to get to the right place, whatever that is. All you can do is make the best decisions in the moment and trust that it's going to work out a little bit. But if you think you take that idea and translate it into the maturation of a child, every little time you go left when you should have went right or something like that, or you take an opportunity to hit on a spouse or, you know, do one of these things that we're talking about that are just kind of like, I mean, really what you're making here is a list of the the don't do's like, like, you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing is really to avoid. Every time you do those things, you just end up further and further away from where where you started. And, and I think that's how so frequently you'll see somebody in the world as an adult and think, we all started off as kids with the same chance. How did this one get here? And I think this is how it happens in these tiny little moments that you don't really value at that time as important that when you build them all together, turn into a, a roadmap, you know, I don't know. I could be yes. Yeah. No, I I think I think it's that's all true. I think I also want to highlight, you know, that these moments might happen here and there, right? Like you might be so irritated with your partner and you're doing something else, and you're like, "Oh, I'm so frustrated. Why didn't you do that?" and and your kid hears 
or whether it's direct or indirectly, your, your child hears you say something, it's still, you can still go back and correct and repair, right? To yeah. say, Joey, you know what? I was so frustrated at, at dad when this happened and I was venting and I said these things and that really wasn't for your ears. And I should have just, I should have shared that with my, you know, kept it to myself, shared it with a friend, family member, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm not saying if you yell asshole at your spouse that Joey's a serial killer now, like, you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't want you to like, I don't want you to think that you shouldn't sit yeah. around and scrutinize. I, this is what Erica's trying. She's trying to stop me from saying to people scrutinize every like tiny little moment. <laughs> it's because it, she knows it'll make people crazy. I don't mean that. I yeah. mean, in these big moments, there's better answers than, and you're not always making them. Like people, no one questions themselves because it would be maddening. If you constantly were questioning yourself, it would make you, that would be mental illness, right? Like if you were- That's, that's yeah, sometimes that's called anxiety yes, sometimes. Yes, <laughs> right. And so there's a way to just prep yourself ahead of time so that you make better, you know, decisions in the moment and then let it fly and see what happens. Like they're not going to turn out great. Don't worry about it. But they could be some version of good that'll be really lovely. So, you know, that's what I think. Anyway, screw it. Do whatever you want with your kids. I don't care. This is what happens to me at the end of every hour. It does. <laughs> like, it does. You all are doing a great job. We're doing great job. We're, no, we're doing our best. Everyone's doing a great job. Listen, I said to this person that I referenced in the beginning of the episode, I said, I wish I could stay alive for 50 more years. I'd love to interview you again 25 years from now. She was like 26. I said, because I've interviewed so many people in their 60s who look back at their lives and they tell these sometimes horrifying stories, and yet they're okay. Until you can see your life as like this one big picture, it's hard to know that the thing that happened between 1978 and 1981 wasn't that big of a deal. Or like, you know what I mean? Or it was just a growth moment, or yeah. you, you learned from it, or it was hard and nothing good came out of it, but you're still alive and you're happy 25 years later. And I sometimes talk to people and I'm like, oh, you're on the way to this. Like, I don't have the luxury of time to step back far enough to be sure that I'm right. But you're a person who's on the way to that being their reality. I think most people are, are on the way to that being their reality. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I mean, I'm the, a very hopeful. journey of, of healing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in, in a situation that if bad health or misfortune doesn't fall you, that at the end of your life, if somebody could be the biographer of you and retell your life back to you, you'd go, I'm, I'm real good with this. You know, and I just I have that opportunity because I talk to people who are older sometimes and I get to like, you know, in a in some short way in an hour and a half, break their entire life down. And you can see that this has been a good life. It was full of great things. It was full of bad things. It was full of most days that were just kind of OK. But when they reflect on it, they go, huh, I, I'm proud of this. So anyway, mm -hmm. I think that'll mm -hmm. happen for everybody. It's just it's not much of a podcast. If we sit down and talk about it. just go for it, and it'll probably be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, for some of you, it ain't going to go great if you do that. <laughs> but, you know, like, and who knows who's who. So why not put the work in? And, you know, that that's my opinion. Just put the work in and, and hope for the best. Pretty much what I do. So I don't know. Yes. I know these recordings are going to exist somewhere, Erica, one day when my kids are just like, you know, hijack a jetliner and like take 200 people to Brazil or something. And like they're on the news and that, and people are going to be like, Oh, that guy's got a seven-part series about parenting you should go listen to. I'll yeah. be like, God damn it. All right. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. Oh, Erica's, my gosh. Erica's kids are starting a cartel up somewhere. <laughs> and oh, somebody gosh. whips out this recording, and they're like, oh, she had some good thoughts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, goodness. Uh, hell, whatever. Good luck, everybody. I'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Learn more about Erica and see if she is able to help you in the state you live in. Erica has uh, a few states that she can help. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Virtually. Or, of course, if you're a California resident, she can see you privately or virtually. EricaForsyth.com. She's delightful. She has type 1 diabetes for like over 30-some years. And she specializes in talking to families who are living with type 1. EricaForsyth.com. I'd like to thank Cozy Earth. This is their uh, first full year of being sponsors on the Juicebox podcast, and I want to thank them. They're coming back in 2024 because of the way you guys are using the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout at CozyEarth.com. So thanks to them 
And of course, thank you to you. If you're looking for community around your diabetes, check out the private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. If you're listening in an Apple podcast app, can you please take a moment to check your download settings? Apple has made some adjustments to the app, and it might be stopping you from seeing episodes. That's in the settings of your app. So, oh gosh, how do you do this? Into the Apple podcast app. Uh, go to the show itself, so like library, then touch the show, then up in the top right corner, there's these three dots, you touch those, you go to settings, then you go down to automatic download or automatically downloaded, check that uh, by going into that menu, sorry, this is very clear, and then scroll to the bottom and choose uh, download all episodes. If you do that, and you're following the show, it would really be helpful. So if you're listening in an Apple app, please follow If you're following, please check your automatic downloads. And if you're listening somewhere else, Spotify, anywhere, Overcast, turn on those downloads, make sure you're following or subscribing. Following and subscribing mean the same thing, just different apps use one word and some apps use another word. So follow, subscribe, download. You'll really be helping out the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.